0: So, what can I say about episode 345? Um, This was another great episode. Uh, Lots of great subjects and questions. And uh, I know you're listening right now, so if you're listening and you would like to maybe have a subject or question put on this podcast, um, you can go to knowyourgearpodcast.com and send a subject question and, and we kind of filter through them. And if we it, find something, we'll put it on the show. If you do that, thank you. Also, if you want to support the show, um, these shows are sponsored by Patreon. So you can go to the same website. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, if you give a review, tell a friend about it, all those things. It's really cool. Here's a disclaimer for you. Let's start the show. The Know Your Gear podcast is not responsible for any spontaneous guitar purchases you make during or after the show. The Know Your Gear podcast. Uh, This one says cheers Phil. It says uh, have you ever have you ever had a piece of gear or gear that that you liked or you own I would imagine like or own uh, that was dissed by a favorite artist. I saw Joe Bonamassa interview where he was Saying he doesn't like the Silver Jubilee reissues. I guess he works on a different budget. Yeah, of course, right? Yeah, definitely. He gets to do the, the real ones. That one's from Bruce. Um, you know, probably, uh, you know, one thing I can actually probably one up that not only have I heard artists probably say they didn't like a piece of gear that I love, but more importantly, I've interviewed artists and, uh, you know, I'm like, hey, like this, it's great, right? And they're like, nah. Um, but, you know, what's great about that question is it's not so much like, you know, if somebody doesn't like what you like, is that a problem? It always reminds me how one person can feel uh, find a need for something or, or find something they love and uh, basically somebody else doesn't love it. I've told this story before, but it's the fastest analogy I have, which is uh, the, uh, the Vox AC uh, 13 and uh, 13, Vox AC 15 and the Vox AC 30 especially the Vox AC30. I like the 30 more than the 15, but more importantly, um, it's an amp that I've tried to love, and I absolutely love it when other guitar players play through it. But for me, it just never does the magic. I always plug into it, and I get no magic. And uh, and and my favorite part of this story was once at the store, um, there was one on on the floor, an AC30, a guitar player played in and it was the most magical sound I think I've ever heard. And I was like, this is, this is it. And he put the guitar back on the wall and he left the store and I ran up, I grabbed his guitar, I plugged in farts, (laughs) just nothing. Uh, And uh, it's just how it works. And that's, what's great. And that's why it's important that, you know, I like the gear discussion talking about all this stuff that we love more so than this kind of authority of like, this is good and this is bad. And that's just the final word on that. Uh, you know, somebody loves a metal zone and somebody hates it. And that's just how it goes. So, and, um, and, you know, John Bonamassa, Joe Bonamassa is probably right. I bet you if he said, man, a real super, silver Jubilee with a real 15 on Les Paul sounds like better than the reissue, than a, and a reissue Jubilee. But, uh, you know, the truth is the rest of us are never going to know that or find that to be the, the case. Why do many of my guitars uh, drift sharp, not flat? Oh, okay, cool. Uh, When, uh, while simply sitting on the stands in my room where the temperature and humidity is consistent. So, you know, what's gonna cause your guitars to go sharp. My first experience, you know, with a customer saying my guitar keeps going out of tune, but sharp, not flat, was a Gibson SG. In fact, it actually made me not try or play SG's for years um, because I feel like a lot of times SG's, especially thinner neck SG's, would come in for repair with them going uh, out of tune, sharp. And uh, it later found it wasn't an SG issue, but it's just more, you know, more likely to happen on your Gibson SGs. What's happening is, is as the neck pitches back, it's stretching the strings. And so, what's causing that is the neck is shifting. That's what it does, And especially a thinner neck and the way the SG's neck joint is, and just the overall way the design of the guitar. I've said this many times on my PRS Mirror, which is behind me, one of my favorite guitars of all time. It's kind of like Paul Reesmith's version of SG in my mind. Um, and uh, it's one of my favorite guitars in the world, but it, it is my least stable guitar. It, it does go out of tune. If the weather gets cold, it's going to go out of tune. If the, <laughs> the weather gets hot, it goes out of tune. Um, I don't know why that is, and I've tried to. Replace it many times with other mirrors that didn't do the problem that mine does, but I just love that mirror so much. So yeah, going sharp isn't uh, uh, unique or problematic. It's guitars can go out of tune and go sharp uh, just as easy as they can go flat. So the difference though, is that generally speaking, if they're going flat, it's because uh, they're binding in the nut or the tuning key is slipping or the string is slipping on the tuning key, which is more important to to say than the tuning key slipping in my experience bad restringing habits will cause your guitar to go out of tune way more than a tuner. Tuners get, um, people, <laughs> you know, right? You, The operator blames the gear, right? Uh, too many times guitar players are like this, this tuning key is slipping and a lot of times it's just the way they're restringing the guitar is not, not effective uh, comparatively. But, uh, so although that's what causes guitars to go flat, uh, guitars going sharp is usually, like I said, the neck uh, it pitches back and, and basically it stretches the string and go sharp. So there you go. Um, the, I guess the answer, that's the answer to your question uh, you didn't ask, but how do you fix that? Um, there's not a whole lot you can do. Some guitars will do it. Thicker necks tend to be more stable than thinner necks on average. I'd like to say woods chain you know, matter, but, uh, it could be maybe a maple is more stable than a mahogany, but I mean, I hate to play that game because, you know, guitars are kind of, that's kind of the thing about guitars is they're kind of like pets. (laughs) There's no two of the same, you know, you can, uh, uh, (laughs) you know, you can get two pets that look identical, but their personalities are different. Things are different. The same thing. I know it sounds weird to compare an animal to a piece of wood hanging in the wall, but a guitar does have some kind of a personality and they do get the issue, you know, they get issues and they do well, you know, some do better than others. Um, so, you know, especially if all your guitars are doing it, um, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I'm trying to think of any suggestions that I have, but there's really not a lot. Like I said, I have guitars that just don't ever, when it comes to going sharp, going flat, there's all kinds of things you do. You can correctly cut the nut. You can, you know, like I said, change their restringing habits. You can change the brand of strings. You can change your tuners. I mean, there's a ton of things you can do if your guitar is constantly going flat. But going sharp the neck is moving. And essentially, if you're controlling the environment, which is sounds like what you're doing, there's there's not a whole lot more you can do besides that. Oh, okay. So uh, this is from Drew says, I can't tell which one of Phil's single cuts are Gibson's and which are heritages due to the background cutting off the headstocks. Ah, well, the best way to tell Drew is the pick guards. The dead giveaway is the pick guards. In my opinion, the heritage has the best pick guard. So this is the Gibson, I'm painting a uh, point in the gold top. Oh, you know what? I'm probably change my camera view and get closer. Can I get a little closer? Look at that. This is the gold top. Yeah, new cameras, new year, new stuff. Look, I can move around. Okay, so gold top, Gibson, right? Heritage with the uh the pick guard that follows more of the line of the body. And then of course that's a Gibson R9. So Gibson R9, there's a heritage R150, H150. And this is a uh, this is a Gibson Les Paul classic, um, but it will throw you off because I changed the pickups to chrome and I put top hat knobs on it and removed the classic uh, truss rod cover to make it look more like a standard. And the reason is, is this thing is seven and a half pounds. <laughs> it's weight relieved, of course. Uh, I bought it from Carter's Vintage Guitars uh, it was uh I want to say into 2022, I was on cartridge Vintage Guitars. And one of the things I love about that uh, store, besides the magic, if you can actually be in Nashville and go in there, but on their website, they get some of the coolest used gear coming through. I mean, uh, you know, you're not going to find that, you know, cool $299 find, but you're going to find some cool stuff in the $1,000 up range that's really unique and cool. But um, they weigh their guitars, which is nice. And so all of a sudden I saw Les Paul classic gold top seven and a half pounds. I was like, Oh yeah. And, uh, it's got a weird ne- neck. That's not quite the sixties then, and not quite the fifties it's right in the middle. It's kind of very unique uh, neck. Um, and then, uh, but it is weight relief. So you guys know it is the, the weight relieved, uh, guitar. So I got that. And then I bought that. And, uh, what I do, I, uh, uh, out the pick card, I think. Um, I think as the pick guard was a little old, I changed out the pick guard. I changed out the poker chip, changed out the top hat knobs. Cause I just like the way they look. And then I put uh, Chrome covers on the, uh, Gibson pickups. So there, there you go. Um, so there, there, there you go. Um, but if we're talking about new guitars, I actually got a new guitar. Uh, yep, I did it. I, um, uh, <laughs> I, I pulled a crazy trigger. I got a Gretsch. Uh, there it is. That's why it's uh, proudly standing there. It still has the piece of paper underneath the bridge. I haven't got that far, but, um, uh, that's, uh, I finally, I, I finally got the classic grid, uh, Gretsch. This is the 6120 Nashville. So it's uh really cool. There will be a video. Um, I didn't buy it to do a video. I, it's not something I'm, I'm working with a company or anything. I just literally, I just felt like it was time, you know, to get that guitar and, uh, and, uh, so I did it. <laughs> so I did it and I got it and, uh, I'm loving it. I got it from, uh, Eddie's guitars. Uh, so you can know, and, um, they gave me a smoking deal. And, uh, I always a little nervous when I Tell you guys that because I don't want anybody you know I want the dealers to give you a deal but I don't want the dealers to get any headaches. Um, so you know they gave me they gave me fifteen percent off. I talked about this but I didn't say who. So Eddie's Guitars, if you haven't checked them out, this is my second guitar buying a guitar from them, and um, I've always had a good experience with them online. They ship fast, they're really nice. I I virtual talk to them. Um, they even by the way, if anyone from Eddie's Guitars ever sees this. Uh, thanks, man. Um, I just sent them an email saying, Hey, um, I want to, I sent them a message saying, Hey, if you're going to be running any sales, I'd like to know. Cause I'm interested in one of your guitars and they go, actually, we're still running our Christmas sales. We can give you a deal and i said okay what's the deal and i was hoping for 10 percent off they went 15 percent off which was great but then they don't charge tax on the website um uh if you guys don't know how the tax r- rules work with sales tax your website has to hit a certain dollar amount before you have to start collecting the sales tax i'm not a tax person so tax people if you start putting information in there i'm just going off what stores tell me wh- why they do and some don't collect the sales tax um uh, and I do remember the gear ex- exchange for Sweetwater saying at first they didn't have to collect the sales tax, like I said, until they hit a certain volume. But anyways, 15% off plus the tax, that's like 25% off. They gave me a smoking deal, shipped it out immediately. And then when I got it, I got a little nice little card and it said, uh, we enjoy your show or I enjoy your show. And I go, oh, that's just, that's just cool, right? Um, so that was nice. So there you go. Um, uh, there's my cool, right? New, new Gretsch that we got to do a video about, right? Um, let's see. Uh, okay, this is a little bit longer one. It says, hey, Phil. Hi, Phil. By the way, all the ones I'm reading so far are just off the Know Your Gear website that, you know, like I said, WW, these ones sent in and we. It's nice. I get to peruse them um, and pick them today. I always pick them the day of the show. I just quickly go through them and grab what I think is interesting. Uh, it says, hey, Phil, in the market for a real, I like it. it's real in quotes, real Gibson SG or Les Paul. I actually appreciate that. It's kind of funny. I'm like, uh, I like the irony of that. Real. What does that mean? Real. I know. We know what it means. It means expensive. <laughs> Why don't you just say expensive? I'm looking for a real. Why I like this, by the way, I want to, I'm, I'm not being sarcastic is, I love that Gibson couldn't get the word authentic to stick in a positive way. I, I have nothing against Gibson. I'm a huge Gibson fan. I've given Gibson more money than any guitar company when you dollars like if I put on an Excel spreadsheet, trust me, Gibson has gotten more physical dollars out of my pocket than any single guitar company. And I'm not exaggerating uh, for personal. And uh, so obviously I'm a fan of the Gibson stuff, but. I do kind of love that when they were out there doing the authentic video, it didn't work the way it, you know, it was going to, you know, they wanted, uh, obviously, um, <laughs> uh, obviously the word real, he uses the word real instead of authentic, authentic. So didn't work. Okay. So it says, I really like Sweetwater's guitar gallery, but I wanted your thoughts on this. Why do I see so many Gibsons with obviously, obvious aesthetic imperfections? Crooked tuners, scars in the fretboard, presumably from fret end filing, misaligned fretboards, etc. cetera. Um, not bashing, this is what he says, not bashing Gibson, just an observation. I personally feel that if I'm spending 2K or more, um, I add that part, uh, on a guitar, I want that type of thing done correctly. I get that it's an aesthetic, but it bothers me on principle. Okay, so... Here's my thoughts on that. Uh, I'll say it this way: If, if I'm not saying you know you're you're being you know I'm saying if you're a picky guitar player about aesthetics, I don't know if a Gibson is the right guitar for you. <laughs> there's there's uh, you know guitar companies they um, they all have a niche, but more importantly you know there's a, uh, it's not said by Steve I but I just like that Steve I said it. Steve I said whatever you focus on, that's what you get. Right. So if you focus on like why you're not a good guitar player, you're just going to not be a good guitar player. I'm paraphrasing what he said, but I just he was the person I heard him say it this is years ago. He says, if you focus on, you know, being a good guitar player, you're going to be a good guitar player. <laughs> right. Like whatever you focus on, would you get. I think that's a great saying. And I think guitar companies are the same way. I think if you focus on quality control, if you focus on making your guitars perfect, I think you'll get perfect guitars or close to it. Right. Um, I, Gibson doesn't focus on that. You know, that's not, uh, 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 I think it's the thing that they focus on. In fact, I can tell you for a fact it's not. Um, There's so many things about the Gibson brand, but the, you know, the beautiful imperfections and you know, fit and finish is not the thing they've ever been known for. No one's ever said, um, think about this. No one even slaps Gibson in the face with, man, back in the '60s, Gibsons were perfect, right? It's they're they're essentially hand finished instruments. We can't say handmade because it's CNCs and stuff, but hand finished instruments, and there's imperfections, and there are instrument companies that are more focused on perfection. If that's what you're focused on. Uh, for me, brands like uh, Brian just said Framus, I would say Framus, I would say um, PRS. To be honest with you, any brand not doing a high volume is going to have less imperfections, right? Because volume is where the problem is, right? You're going to see more of it. It's, it's like um, in the United States, the F-150 trucks, like the number one selling car, <laughs> truck, car in, in the United States. And like, but if you read statistically, there's more of them in accidents, just number, not percentage uh, on the road. Well, the most of them are on the road. So same kind of logic. It's, you know, if a company makes a lot of guitars, you're going to see a lot more guitars with issues because uh, of the volume. So what I say, um, what I would say is, is I would not focus on that. Um, um there is, I can tell you, I did a video, um, that, uh, a few, a few years back. Um, it's actually, um, 2021, I want to say January, 2021, it might've been January, 2022 I'm trying to remember, but you can see it, where I bought a Gibson RO, uh, for like $6,000 was crazy money. It's just, I, I, you know, like I said, COVID sad, you know, just depressed, uh, literally had COVID (laughs) bought this guitar thinking, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to sell a bunch of guitars and get that one guitar. And it was full of flaws. And the guitar itself was probably fine. It's just like I said, for that kind of money, I just couldn't see it. You know, I couldn't see, you know, buying something with issues like that. Funny story about that is, uh, recently I saw a comment on that video. Somebody's like, what did the store do that I bought it? What did they, how did they react? they, they basically, I sent it back. They sent me a full refund, which is nice. Cause they, they could have hit restocking or they could have, you know, uh, you know, made me just return, pay the return shipping. They gave me a full refund and then somebody bought it from them. Like it's sat at a not discount. Cause I'm pretty sure that, and this, I did talk to the store briefly and they told me that basically, uh, they sent the information to Gibson and Gibson was like, you know, there's nothing Gibson was going to do. So that's my advice to you is basically, um, you know, you can try and kind of cherry pick out a really nice Gibson out of the bunch. But I would, my biggest concern telling you, that even doing that, is I think if that's something that's that concerns you, like I said, for that kind of money, you think it should be better fit and finished, I think Gibson will will be a disappointment for you as a whole. And that's coming from somebody who absolutely loves Gibsons for what, what I think matters about Gibsons. They have a vintage nostalgia. They have a sound. They have a vibe um you know there's a lot of things i love about a gibson guitar but it's not you know that the fact that they've mastered perfection of stuff i think um sadly enough i think now you know some of the indonesian guitars that you can buy are so fit and finish so perfectly they they put everything to shame um so there there's whatever so so perfection isn't a cost <laughs> you can buy a guitar that I think is almost absolutely perfect for six, $700. And I'm rounding up a little bit. Okay. Uh, Hey, Phil, a happy holidays. Um, he probably sent this email during the holidays. Uh, he says, I recently came across tone, right? Um, and I haven't seen any videos from you about this product. It claims to age your guitar by vibrating the strings to mimic naturally playing. Um, Let's go ahead and show you guys what this is. Um, this, I'm aware of this, pro- this particular product because uh, they were doing a lot of sponsored Instagram uh, feeds. So of course, anytime I popped on Instagram, I was getting, you know, tone right in my face, um, it looks like it's available at Sweetwater, no, not Sweetwater, Stumac. So, uh, so basically what they do is they sell this device for $150 or $170 if you don't live in the United States. Um, and uh, basically you stick this on your guitar and it vibrates your guitar and uh it's uh and why you ask i'm sure some of you are like why why would you want to do that what is the sound it's not a sound um so it actually comes from more importantly a thing that really does happen so we talked about last week i monty montgomery is my favorite guitar player and he plays a yuri which is a japanese made alvarez um fantastic guitar. Uh there's a amazing factory tour of Yairi. It's out, a little dated now, but you can watch it on YouTube and on there they show the the uh luthiers basically hand kind of uh, sculpting the necks and stuff. But in there they were one of the first companies I ever saw do this uh, uh but many companies do it. What they do is they build the guitar and after they're done with the acoustic, it's all built, they put them in a room in in a row in like racks and then they play loud music in the room. Like big 18 inch subwoofers, right? Loud music. Um, I think they play loud classical music. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not kidding. Um, they play loud music and the reason they do this is for two reasons. The first one is probably the most important reason, which is the sound. If you've ever been in a guitar center and somebody hits a really loud chord on one of those electric guitars and all the guitars ring, <laughs> if you haven't experienced this, this is a kind of fun experience. They, um, the guitars reverberate and the strings ring because of the vibrations, um, the, um, basically what they're doing is they're causing the guitars to, to vibrate like they would if they were being played, because whether you're strumming or the music's causing the strings to move, the strings are vibrating. I shouldn't say vibrating strings are moving. And then therefore the guitar is moving. The top is moving. And so obviously being recently built, this is kind of like what You see, when you see somebody take a weight and drop it on a chair a thousand times to see how, how well the cushion holds up, this is to see, um, to see how, you know, if there's anything that's going to fall off, right? You know, is any of the glue going to come loose? Is anything crack? Does one of the braces fall off, right? It's a good way to check things on the guitar. So they do it for that reason. The second reason is, is that, um, obviously um, much like a lot of things, uh, there's, there's a lot of theories out there and it's, uh, like speakers have this theory as well too. like the longer it's played, the more it's broken in acoustics. I think are, um, again, you know, whether you believe it or not, I believe that, um, uh, that the, um, the, the longer a guitar is played acoustic guitar, especially, especially acoustic guitar, the more it has kind of a broken in feel to it and maybe even a softer, more broken in sound, um, And, uh, and so I think, um, I think that's the logic behind this thing now that, that being said, I, I really don't understand the device. (laughs) <laughs> i'm just explaining what it does would so i guess i'm thinking that the end user customer is someone who buys a acoustic guitar especially a high-end acoustic guitar with a solid top they stick this vibrating device on it and and i apologize if it's not actually vibrating but it's doing something else but it is causing this the guitar strings to you know move and um you know, set it down and essentially you can break in your guitar without playing it. It makes me sad first. I'm going to tell you the sad thing because it's kind of the realization that, you know, like, well, why wouldn't you just play your guitar? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's one of those things I guess I would put in a category. I wouldn't shun anyone who bought it. If somebody bought it and said it worked and you loved it, I wouldn't have a, uh, a stern opposing opinion to you. Would I buy it? No. Um, uh, would I test it if they reached out to me and said, Hey, we want you to stick it on a guitar and try a guitar a month later after whatever you run this thing. Would I do it? I don't even think I'd do it. Here's why I don't think I would do it. There's a part of me, um, that there's a part of me that would be curious, you know, to know if it worked or if I I can notice a difference, but there's also another part of me is like, you know, even if it worked, (laughs) <laughs> even if the, it proved to me after 30 days of the guitar sounded better, whatever that means, I wouldn't spend 150 bucks for it. I just play a guitar really hard for the month. <laughs> so, uh, and I would say, I would also say that if I need a, a thing to do that, I would also maybe not have as many guitars. There's a reason why I have more electrics than acoustics. Um, I have a few acoustics and the ones I have, I truly am passionate about because of that reason. I like to play my acoustics all the time. I don't like my acoustics to sit dormant. Electric guitar sometimes like, you know, it's, it's, you pick it up and play it every once in a while. It's kind of nice to have it. It's beautiful guitar, but I don't really need a bunch of acoustics. So that's just my two cents on it. But again, like I said, if you said you loved it, I'd, I wouldn't tell you like, oh, you're snake oil. You fell for it. Um, you know, I just don't know. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to give you strong opinions about whether it works or not works, but I would be, I would be remiss if I didn't say that my gut says that 50% and I'm being very nice of those people with those opinions are pulling it out of their ass and they don't really don't know either way. Right. You know, whether they're saying it works or doesn't work. I bet you most people just don't know. So, cause I don't truly know. I just know the theory behind it and why some companies have done it. And, um, but I'm not here to say, you know, like they, you know, but I, I I'm not in the market for one, and that's um, why. <laughs> but I like those things to talk about, and I don't have an opinion of uh, you know all gimmick you know products like this are gimmicks. So I don't know. Like I said, I just don't have I don't I don't have it in my head to buy one. Um. Uh, Pop says tone right. I didn't believe it until I spent some time with a Canadian folk star rick Bar- baron uh he bought it he bought a pair of koa tailors and it works see like i said that's what i'm saying either way i would totally understand like if you said it totally works and if somebody said it didn't work i'd be like yeah you know again uh it's uh it's not something i would be interested in but again i wouldn't i wouldn't argue uh, so pops i don't argue with you one percent if you say you heard it and you you believe it works i believe that it, you believe it works. <laughs> what I mean by that, I'm not being sarcastic. I'm being truthful and saying I have no real, uh, yeah. the. Um, so You know what it reminds me of? Uh, it's funny. Scott Krove just said, it sounds like one of those five minute abs type of things. You know, Scott, you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of does anyone remember uh, anyone any old bruce lee fans here uh didn't he do the thing where he put the electrodes to us and and like it caused it causes muscles to work out you know it's one of those things like you hear those stories and you're like i don't know does that work just should i electrocute my muscles to make them stronger or or is it craziness <laughs> so all right all right uh and i wish that company the best of luck by the way uh like i said maybe they figured out the 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 magic or maybe they haven't um okay uh this is a good subject i really like this uh this came from the panda the panda says uh what uh premium is paid to use indian rosewood versus indian laurel in guitar manufacturing i love questions like this and why is prs using indian rosewood on se's while fender and gibson are using indian laurel on squires and epiphones. And this, this is a great question because I think at the core, there's always, especially with so much great gear out there, you know, it's never a question like, is this any good? It's always a question is like, why is this? Why is this more? Why is this less? Why is this? There's less of these. Why are there more of these? This is a great question, whether you realize or not the Panda, because if the question was, why does Indian, you know, why does a guitar with Indian Rosewood cost more than Indian Laurel? That's a conversation, but this is the more core, your, your your question is, why is there a premium? What is going on here? And the thing about the guitar industry that's really important to focus on, and it's not unique to the guitar industry, but we only talk about the guitar industry on this channel, is that there's two, two reasons why manufacturers make the decisions they do about prices for us. Con- The guitar player and consumers. Um, One is, I want to say it's more physical and factual. Okay. It's it's tangible. Okay. They buy a piece of wood and that wood is expensive and therefore the premium is passed on to the consumer. Okay. So um, perfect example, right? Is if you told me, especially back in the day, like a piece of rosewood, they charge more for rosewood than they did for maple. Maybe that's a thing, right? Um, so, so in this case, you know, one company says that Rosewood's a premium, uh, and one company says it's not a premium because they're putting it on their less premium-priced guitars. So there's the there's a real cost of the premium, and then there is a perception cost or comparable cost that they have to, to pay attention to. And we've talked about this on the show many times, which is there's more than just the cost in what a guitar is. There's a comparable, and what I mean by that is. And it's so easy to see once I tell you, you know, you're gonna see it everywhere. When you see a company that only does one thing, notice how the pricing makes a lot more sense, especially if you walk it back. What I mean by that is, if you see a company only making like, and we'll stick to U.S. guitars because it's easier that way. You have a company that makes only U.S. guitars. Everything they do makes sense because they're only making one guitar, one type of guitar. Okay, USA made guitars, which are probably going to be a premium priced instrument for whatever reasons, they're premium priced. Let's say then you have another company. They only make guitars made out of Asia. And again, the logic seems to make a lot of sense with their guitars. What I mean by that is take, two, take one brand that only makes guitars, let's say made in Indonesia. We'll keep it easy. okay? And they make a guitar in Indonesia. And this one has like a basswood body and a maple neck. And then this next model has like a mahogany body with a maple cap and a um, mahogany neck with rosewood. And the price will go up ever so much, right? Slightly whatever, but it goes up. Because to them, they're taking the real costs that the mahogany and the maple cost versus the basswood, and they're passing that on to the consumer. We have to pay that real cost. But notice how it can get a little confusing once a company makes a guitar in, let's say, Indonesia and the US, because it's not about what it actually costs anymore. It's what it compares to. When I've told you guys this before, if you... Um, if you have a guitar that's $4,000 made in the USA and you're making a version of that in overseas in Asia, that guitar can't be like a nickel that, that throws everybody's minds off. If it basically think about this, I want to, uh, this is a fair question to ask it. Just ask yourself in your head right now. If I told you that a Paul Reed Smith core custom 24 is $4,000, because that's what they are now. So, you know, they're $4,000 U S but the SE were the same prices as the basically the, the P.R.S. looking Harley Benton, which is two ninety nine. So if I told you you can buy a custom twenty four SE made for two ninety nine, but the U.S. one's four thousand dollars, you'd be like, that's insane. E- even people buying would only buy people who only would buy the U.S.A. one would be like, why is one three hundred dollars, one's four hundred dollars? I mean, it's not even four hundred dollars to four thousand dollars. I think I said that wrong, but you get the idea it's $300 to $4,000. The fact that they can sell the Indonesian one for $1,000, you start, you start going, Oh, that feels closer, (laughs) you know, and then you start justifying in your head why the prices are different. But I've told you a lot of times the price and the import is really just because of how much the U S version is. That's just how it works. That's just, it's just logical that way. So, um, and so PRS is basically they are building a guitar, and they're not really function. They're not worried about um, like a 299, uh, uh, you know, affordable guitar. Their affordable SEs are essentially premium, in my opinion. SE guitars, I mean, cheap ones are 700 bucks. I don't consider that an affordable instrument, even in today's market. Um, that's that's still a premium-priced instrument. Um, it's not like a $2,000 guitar, but it's still premium priced. So so what I'm basically saying is it's more than just what it physically costs them. It is what the comparable cost is. So that's why they sometimes will make those decisions. Uh, Epiphone and Squire, my guess is they probably want to standardize most of their lines. So they keep uh, the Indian Laurel for the guitars that are $299 and then just keep on the guitars that are $799. It probably makes things easier, especially when you're building mass amounts of guitars. Once you build mass amounts of guitars, it's all about mass amounts of parts. And um, if you've ever... Manufacture guitars, let me tell you one of the problems is, is parts become really problematic because they become a holding pattern of your instruments. Um, you know, um, uh, I was talking to a viewer today, or uh, re- dealing with a viewer today that um, bought a Kiesel, and uh, they're the second one to send me this message that they got a Kiesel, but they didn't get their tremolo arm, and they got a Wii o from Kiesel because. Kiesel didn't have the trim arms. So they're just shipping out the guitars without the trim alarm, and then they're going to send them, I guess, the trim alarm. And, um, and um, I, I mean, I get it, right? Because it's a Godot uh, part, and Godot parts take so long to get, so they can hold up your instruments. So a lot of times manufacturers will try to buy in bulk to not only buy their prices down with parts or woods, not only to buy the price down, but also have the volume so they can just keep making stuff. So in this case, I think that's the case why Squire and Epiphone's are using one type of woods and SEs are using another one is because PRS is doing this comparable. Like we want to make, we want these guitars to be a certain price because we want them to compare to these very expensive ones. And we want this, you know, this premium uh, to make sense, right? I hope that kind of makes sense. I can go into more detail if it doesn't. But that is really the the real reason why they all tend to do the things they do it's uh it's tough, like I said It's why I tell you that ultimately um when you support and i and i don't I don't mean this to be negative, but it's it's just important to understand this when you support a company. That if you're trying to support a company that's made in USA and they make import guitars, understand that you have no control of where your money goes. It still goes. It's like somebody was like, I'll never buy an Epiphone and support China. I'm only going to buy Gibsons. I'm like, literally, Gibson profits go to Epiphone guitars to build more Epiphone guitars. Literally, you're supporting Epiphone. Um, I mean, it's obvious that these companies are connected, right? Fender and Squire are the same company. Epiphone and Gibson the same choir it's a company. So if you really want your money to not go overseas, if that's a thing for you, and again, we don't want to be political on the channel because they just don't, that stuff bores the crap out of me. But, you know, there's small builders, right, that you can focus on that, you know, there's there's other things you can do, but don't ever, you know, kind of trick yourself. Uh, there was a comment the other day on one of my videos in the, and the, in, in the, in the, Guy was saying that basically he wouldn't buy any import instruments, only U.S. guitars, but yet he... And just, I don't want to say it because I don't want you to see who it is, Uh, because I don't want you to give him crap. Um, But he labeled off a bunch of his USA guitars, and literally, I I can tell you for a fact, three of the USA guitars he listed, they use import parts on those USA guitars. So he was supporting the thing he's apparently against because he was uninformed. So... Uh, believable says Phil. Can you share your signal chain for recording your upcoming demos and background track background tracks? Uh, tracks? Yes. Uh, so, um, we, we didn't, we were going to do it and then we uh, revised everything. So obviously new lighting in the room. You can see all the guitars clearly now, right? <laughs> uh, so we have new lighting and of course, cause I messed up to begin a show. You can see I'm still m- using the mixers and stuff. Um, and, uh, new cameras, The other studio, which is where I do the YouTube videos has new cameras and new lighting and new stuff. And so, yes, I'm going to be sharing that guys with you this year, but, um, I wanted to, you know, make sure not only that I had the new stuff, but I wanted to be, make sure I, I, I like it and I'm keeping it. So, um, but yes, I'll do a video on that. And also the recording chain and how we do it, especially now that we do everything in two rooms, it's a little more tricky. So, uh, Yeah. Okay. So watch this. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie's Eddie, I guess Eddie G world says reverends are onto something good with stock features like Karina locking tunes, etc. So Eddie perfectly you're, what you're pointing out is exactly what I'm talking about. Um, Reverend guitars are all made. Um, I think in Korea, right? They make them at the mirror factory. I don't know if they do any Indonesian guitars as well. They might, but all the ones I've seen have come out of mirror, which is in Korea and, Reverend guitar is a perfect example I'm talking about notice how their logic makes sense I mean their guitars are definitely not inexpensive they're expensive instruments but their quality obviously if you get Fishman pickups the price goes up like you said if you get Karina versus you know uh you know if they're using basswood or whatever because they don't really have any other agenda to to sell you as an as the oh, well, this is the, you know, USA-made reverend, and this is the made in China reverend, and this is the made in Korea reverend, and these are how we're going to price all this stuff. It's really just they're using one place and they're building all the guitars, so therefore the pricing structure is really kind of mostly affected by the tangibles. You know, a more expensive bridge means the guitar price goes up. More expensive wood, the price goes up. More expensive pickups, the price goes up. It gets, like I said, it can get confusing with, When they make multiple, when they use multiple different factories in different places of the world, you can note, and different branding, like having sub branding and premium branding. Like I said, the logic always sometimes doesn't line up, and you're like, why doesn't this make sense? And like I said, it's because the price is not always dictated by just the components, but it's also the comparable of the other things they're trying to sell you because they got to make all of this make sense in the stepping process. Why do you step to the next thing? And, um, you know, if you've, uh, you guys know, obviously, because I had the store for 13 years, one of the things you're you're trained at, I still have the training manuals. I don't think they make them anymore, (laughs) but Fender has training manuals on how to sell Fender products. And a lot of companies would have these training manuals and they would train you just like they train their sales reps. And one of the things they would train you is not only about, the product, which I, I loved, but they would train you, like, train you on how to step people up, <laughs> just like a car dealership. What? Well, leather seats, <laughs> GPS, right? Uh, it's not only just tell you those options because that doesn't mean anything. If somebody, if you, you went to a guitar store and they just said these are options or more, they taught you how to like explain to the customer the logic of the stepping process. Um, and uh, that's a lot of thought is putting to convincing us that these things have you know, the value points, uh, Nella says U S made, I did a review of the U S made, uh, Reverend. He says they were made of similar Dane Electro. Yes. Um, I'm just kind of stuttering that through. I apologize, Nella. Uh, yes, the Reverends, when they were made in the USA, the ones I've played and of course, the one I I bought and did a video of, uh, was made of the same material as a Dane Electro, which is why I don't know why I can't think of that stuff. I always think it's the stuff that they used to back on the back of TVs. That's how old I am when the TV's, uh, And it's always got a weird name and it escapes me, but it's essentially cardboard. (laughs) What is it called? Uh, Somebody will say it in the comments. What's this stuff called? It's like a fiberboard and it's got a funny... Ah, Masonite. Thank you, Leland. Masonite. (laughs) I just remember like... I was like... I just remember had a weird name. Masonite. Uh, Yeah. So they're made of Masonite, which is... Uh and or MDF. It's yeah. Um it's just, all I remember is I just remember the back of the TV set. Oh Jesus. because uh, 'cause I'm, I'm seven hundred and forty years old. I don't know if you guys know that. And so uh for those of you younger viewers uh that are um not only did the back of the TVs have masonite, which is like this cardboard, you had screws and you had to take it out to change the tubes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 all right. Uh, now, here's the good news. I can say this. I am old enough to remember that, but I'm young enough to where I never changed the tubes in my own TV. I got to watch my parents do it because I wasn't allowed to touch it because I was still young enough to not uh, be allowed to touch the tubes in your TV. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, let's do I'm gonna. I still have some early questions and I still have some email questions. Let me grab a couple super chats so they don't stack up. Um, Since I seem like I feel like I'm a little all over the place today, as I am all the time. I think the whole show is chaos all the time. That's the that's the magic of the show. It's the chaos show. Um, We have a question from or a subject from Antique Rocker. Antique Rocker says, "What is your opinion on the Parker P42?" There's one for sale for $850 near me where I live. Is it worth checking out? So the Parker P42, and I'm, I'm going to show everybody what that is. So you guys know I'm a huge Parker fan. The P42 is a import version of the Parker. It's a maple neck and uh, it's, uh, you know, it doesn't have the carbon fiber, you know, stuff. It's not that. Um, they're really cool. My problem is, you know, I, I remember when they were that much new. Uh so it's like it's just crazy that they're that much used. Um it's a cool guitar, but in my mind it's Parker looking and it has a, a nice shaped Parker neck, which is a C carve. But to me, the antique rocker, my only apprehension to you is I bet if you got it and you might you might agree with what I'm about to tell you, um it's not gonna feel any different than any other guitar other than the shape, you know. Um, some people will say the horn will stab you in the chest. The USA ones do because they kind of arc, they, they kind of angle back, but these don't so much. It's really just whether or not you want one or not. Um, but like I said, it's not, it's not the same as the Parker USA guitars. So I almost say for 850 bucks, man, I feel like there's a lot of better guitars out there unless you're just a huge Parker fan. Cause you know, with that headstock, you can't hang on a, on a, on a hanging stand, it's not ultra light, which is one of the appeals to me with Parker guitars where you can get a parker guitar that's like four or five pounds. It's um, like I said, it's is it worth checking out? I don't know. like I said, I, I think I think you'd pick it up and find it probably doesn't feel much different than a made Mexico Strat and it, other than the shape. That's just my my thoughts on that. Um, one thing that's great, let me share this with you. I told you guys last week when you guys asked me for advice, uh, that, you know, it's nice to get feedback, how it worked out. If you guys remember last week, uh, Pete, one of the viewers, uh, asked me, told me that he had a problem with a, uh, Fender style guitar. He had put noiseless Fender, noiseless generation, fourth, fourth generation pickups in it. And he's got the pickup as low as he can. And the string is still touching the top of the pickup. And that, you know, is it going to have to route the cavity? What's it going to do? And my advice to him was to shim the neck. And I said, you can get a shim, a professional shim, you know, off the internet, or you can make one or what have you, but shim the neck up. That'll fix your problem. And then figure out from there, you know. Uh, If you want to keep the guitar or use the pickups, if you like them. Um, I think it was like an hour after the show. I wasn't even finished indexing the show. He sent me pictures. And so he did exactly what I said. He put a shim there. He made a quick shim, stuck it in there, as you can see. Uh, And I think he did the shim with the actual, yep, the paper from the box, I think, or something like that is what he was saying. And so he's put, I probably look like a two pieces right there he said it worked like a charm i think there's a picture where nope there it is and yeah so the string is not see far enough now from the pickup solved this problem so i thought that was cool because i i I asked you guys if you would do that whenever i give you technical information like that or if i give you some advice if you you don't have to super chat me again or try to get it on here just send it that's what he did he sent it to the website i will search and pick for that kind of stuff because i think that's a a cool thing to share with you guys is you know um, you know, if it worked or if it failed uh, again, you know, I, I you know, and I'll make as many mistakes as I do right things too. So, um, so there you go. Uh, but, uh, so thank you, Pete, for sending that to me and, uh, updating everybody that thought that was really cool. And, uh, and also I think these are the more illustrative things, not to say like, ha ha, I said, shim it, and he did. And what was right. It's now he shoved cardboard in there. He solved the problem. Like I said, sometimes I, I think what's great about this kind of platform than actual official videos is. You know, it's kind of like us talking, like a bunch of friends, you know, hanging out, talking on a Friday afternoon about the thing we love, guitars, and and when somebody's like, yeah, I have this problem, somebody's like, yeah, just do this, you know, it, it's it's not, doesn't need a, you know, it's not an hour discussion of the problem, just as simple as shove a piece of cardboard in there. I think I actually said business cards last week, so he used the packaging. So there you go, perfect. Jay Martinez. I just received an Engel Founders Edition because Jay Martinez has a lot of money, everybody. (laughs) That's a great amp. Uh, It's like, isn't it like 3,800 bucks? I think it's uh, incredible tones. I I would imagine I'm a huge Engel fan, even though apparently I can't say Engel and I'm never going to say it other than the way I say it now. Uh, Have you tried it? I have not tried it, man. I don't have the, I don't, I don't No. Uh, it says, ha, uh, I have the iron ball 20. That's great. Amp the fireball 25. That's one of my favorite amps. And, uh, this is a plan to keep all three. Yeah, it's great amp. I mean, woo yeah. Um, Ingle and I have a, a good relationship. Obviously they, they sent an iron ball once and they sent a, a fireball 25 and, um, and, uh, you know, but I don't think they, uh, I think, and I, I don't know. So I, again, I would never, uh, presume to, you know, to pigeonhole angle in this but i i feel like sometimes ingle is one of those companies and there's a few others that i can name but i'm not gonna because it's not relevant to this question where they sell um you know some really nice amps that i would probably be super interested in checking out and doing videos about and maybe then buying right yeah but a lot of times uh, companies like that really focus on the gent style youtube channels and like just selling the metal um you know, the Wallfire Fireball 25 to me is one of the most versatile amps on the market. It's one, you know, it's one of the amps I could say, if you told me, Phil, you can only have, you know, one amp. I, I'm not saying that's the amp I would pick, but I would, I could, I would whittle it right now to five and it would be in the five. And then I'd have to compare at the moment and kind of figure out. But I love that amp. I feel like I can get everything from Fender tones to, 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 to metal, to, to rock, to blues. I, I just love the amp, but I know Engel and a lot of companies like Engel, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, Bogner, right. You name it. Uh, Saldano, they really focus on just, uh, you know, demoing the metal sounds to you guys. Um, even Laney, you know, they're very metal, oriented and kind of slanted that way and maybe that's what schecter remember i said checker used to certain guitars and they don't anymore maybe because that's the same thing there they really want to push the metal avenue and the channel is really not known for metal uh as much and so maybe that's why they don't do it but i and i probably have made that uh worse for myself because here's what's funny about this um i play a lot of metal <laughs> uh and uh And it's funny, though, but when I do videos, I tend to never do metal very much, even if it's a metal styled amp, because so many channels did the metal side that I kind of wanted to hit. I want to hit that the viewer who's not, you know, Uh, so like when I did the Ingle, what was the one? Oh, when I did the Saldano amp, there's a comment recently I saw that was kind of made me laugh. The guy said, uh, basically didn't like my video because he's like, why would you even care show the clean channel on this amp? And I'm like, because no one else did. (laughs) That's why I did it. But yeah, no, I play the metal su- uh, sound on that amp too, but I was trying to, to focus on that. So, um, but, uh, uh, but I love, uh, I, I love the Engel stuff, man. I think they're, uh, fantastic, fantastic amps. So, uh, and that one, especially cause it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, uber expensive and really cool. So that's my two cents on that. It says Dino. I think it's at, whatever. 629 question. Okay. I have a Kiesel where the 10 gauge E string locking thumb screw on tuner is always loose. Any reason why that might be? Could be stripped out, man. Those Look, the the locking keys uh Kiesel's locking keys. Obviously Kiesel's not manufacturing uh tuning keys. Um, I, I, uh, this is a great time to segue into a cool little th- tidbit for you guys to know. One of the cool things that I was able to, uh, pull off being a YouTuber is that I've now been to 36 factories or larger shops around the world and seeing how those guitar companies make their, their products. And, um, I did that because, you know, I have this weekly show where you guys are pinging my brain all the time. And I always think like, well, I'm not very smart, but if I go do it, maybe I can tell you what I saw. (laughs) Um, So let me tell you an interesting tidbit that I can, I might help you guys. Um, Of all the factories around the world that I've been to, uh, um, there are very few to none. And I I almost want to say none, but there are very few that actually have a machine shop. Okay, it's very very few. Even Fender, they don't have a necessarily machine shop. What they have is they have the press that can do the bridge plates, and they have the press that can do the trays for the output jacks on the Strats. Um, I don't believe they have a press for the tele output tray or the circle. I think that's actually brought in outside. You know, they they buy that. Um, but there is no chroming facility there either. So when they do that stuff, they send it out to be chromed, um, which is why I believe the the fender made amplifiers. A lot of them went to, uh, like the hot rod deluxe went from a chrome face to a black face because they were sending out to be chromed. And then when they sent the, when they finally said, Hey, let's make them in Mexico. They just paint them black because It's easier than having chromed. Um, but reason I tell you that is because a lot of manufacturers will tell you like, Oh, it's they brand their tuning keys. It's just a thing, right? Um, Kiesel puts Kiesel on his tuning keys, but obviously Kiesel isn't making those tuning keys. Uh, PowerSmith doesn't make their tuning keys. They have those made somewhere else as well. Those aren't manufactured in-house. Um, uh, so a, a lot of companies, it's easier to understand because when you see a Grover tuning key or a Goto tuning key or like a branded tuning key, like a like a Cluson or a Schaller, you're like, okay, that's who's making it. So with Kiesel, they're buying those tuning keys from someone I don't know who, but that at the Kiesel Connect experience, maybe that's a good question in the factory to ask. Um, it's not a question I asked when I was in the factory, cause I already knew that they weren't making the tuning keys. So a question you would want to ask is, um, and I, not you, but somebody, if they're watching this video, um, is who makes your tuning keys, I'm sure he'll tell you. So what I'm basically trying to tell you, uh, Steve is that on your, uh, your Kiesel tuning key, it's probably defective. So it, it's probably stripped out or cross threaded or, you know, ton of things. So you need to get replaced. Um, What I would suggest to you you is email the Kiesel customer service. I believe it's one person. (laughs) So don't call sales because it's not a sales issue. It's a customer service issue. Um, But anyways, you call them or email them and say, look, I have a defective uh, tuning key and I'd like to get a new one. Um, Unless you're, you know, I don't know what the warranty is on that. I don't know how long you've had the guitar. Maybe that's a conversation to have too. Hey, is this under warranty? Can I get a replacement? Uh, Tell them the issue there you go the other so i'm going to give you two solutions to this problem by the way that's one definitely call them and um and see if they can get that uh, rectified for you because that's that's important whether you have to buy a tuning key hopefully they won't say anything crazy like we only sell them in sets <laughs> uh but uh but hopefully like i said what can we do to get this resolved this is usually the terminology i use like hey i need this fixed the other thing that's going to be a weird suggestion but I've actually had it work so many times; it's always worth trying. Is um, you can disassemble the tuning key. Okay, so obviously it should be three. Is it three pieces? I can't remember if it's compression fit or if there's a screw. It's two to three pieces. So it's be screw the the base with the shaft, and then of course the the uh, the, the nut. The nut. Um, you could take it apart and reassemble it. Sometimes that fixes it, okay? The other thing that might fix it, believe it or not, is take it apart and the one next to it, whichever one's the same height if they're staggered, and swap them and put them back together. And again, it kind of fixes it. Um, because sometimes the misalignment is because the tuning is slightly crooked and might be a piece of wood, like a little wood shaving in there that's causing the tuning key to not sit flushed. And it's just when you're turning the locking unit, it's just not threading up correctly. Now the downfall of this is that could be the problem, like I said, and then you've now cross-threaded it. It's not your fault, you know, cause it was misaligned, but I would try that. Why? Cause it's free and it takes a minute of your time, and other than you're gonna have to restring your guitar. That's what I would do is try that. Um, so those two solutions would be what I would recommend. And in my experience now is it's getting to the point where it's getting harder and harder because all these manufacturers, whether they're made in the USA or not, or made in England or made in Japan, this the the tuning keys, the bridges, everything is coming from a not great uh, not great uh you know, not great technical specs and you know tolerances for manufacturing. So you're gonna see you're going to see, you know, you know, that problem. It's just the downfall of it. Do you have a favorite Japanese market brand? Ibanez. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, so the made in Japan guitars obviously are fantastic, right? So, I mean, obviously I like the the Jacksons. I like the FGN guitars. I like uh, the Gretsch, the Gretsch I bought. This is a a made in Japan Gretsch. uh there's a ton of main japan guitars but I'm a huge Ibanez fan. Uh the I- Ibanez, you know, Ibanez to me when people like they they when people talk about Gibson and Fender's and you know when they grew up those were the iconic brands to own for me it was Ibanez. Uh, just because the, you know, stores I went to when I was a kid where I lived mostly had off brands you'd never heard of. Most of the brands in the stores around town that I went to, those brands weren't in guitar magazines. (laughs) So it's like, you know, everybody had brands that no one ever heard of. Um, and, uh, for the most part. And so one of the stores in town, they had Fenders and Ibanez. Uh, that was the story, you know. That was the premium is to go in ibanez, and ibanez to me at the time all the players. Um, remember, I started guitar in eighty nine. So eighty nine, think about that. I mean, passion warfare comes out from Steve I. You have them doing. Uh, Warren is playing ibanez at the time. Uh, Paul Gilbert's playing ibanez. Joe is playing ibanez. Um, uh, Pat Matheny's playing an ibanez. Frank is playing an ibanez. Uh, Jennifer Batten is playing an ibanez with Michael Jackson, basically. So it was um it was like Ibanez was uh premium, but also obtainable premium. Like all the brands, like I, told, I think I've said uh, ESP guitars. I, I never, you know, you had to drive to Hollywood Guitar Center, uh, drive all the way to California. You could see like, you know, some ESPs in the wall that you weren't allowed to touch. And Jackson even made in, I didn't understand because I was a kid. So when I went to the store that carried Jackson in town, they had US Jacksons and then they had the professional series, which were made in Japan. Um, but to me, Jackson's just was, it was just unobtainable. It was expensive. So I didn't know enough about the brand to go, oh, there's a sub-tier of Jackson that's more affordable in in the price range of Ibanez. So to me, Ibanez was the kind of guitars that were 700 bucks. So Bruce says Ibanez is uh, 100% outsourced manufacturing. Uh, not anymore. At the time, back in the day, yeah, Japan. Now uh, Ibanez has a uh, f- factory in Indonesia, uh, which is Hashino. So Ibanez is... is 100% outsource. But think of this. Ivan isn't even a company. It's it's a brand that they stick on. Guitars, Hashino is the company. But Hoshino owns the Indonesian factory. And um, and uh, so, yes. But uh, that is... That's not a line that I understand. Uh, in other words, I, I... You know, like this company doesn't make this guitar. This company hasn't made. That's like everybody at this point. <laughs> I mean, Cortex probably making... 300 different brands at this point. It's probably probably so crazy. So, but yes, but Ibanez was a a premium brand to me as a kid, but it was an, it was obtainable premium. Uh, What I mean by, like I said, $700 back in the day. That was crazy expensive. I couldn't afford that, by the way. But I'm just saying, when you saw $700, you're like, oh, okay, so three times what I have. Where if I saw a guitar that was $2,000 or $1,000, like I've talked in past, that disc guitar was too expensive. So... That's, that's my affection for Ibanez. So when I got my first Ibanez, that was my, my Ibanez, my first Ibanez was my first, um, uh, my first, like, expensive, like, uh, crazy, you know, like, I got a guitar, and it was a brand that, you know, people would know. (laughs) Anyway, says, hey, Phil, do you have any recommendations for pickup winding machines? Looking to get in a hobby. Yes, I like the Mojo Tone winder. You can get it from Mojo Tone or Stew Mac. Um, and the reason I say that is because sometimes Mojo Tone is out and they sell it through Stu Mac. Uh, so you can get a Stu Mac. Uh, it's my absolute favorite one. Um, I do have a couple different winding machines. Um, so, you know, um. The Shatten winder is cool there's a reason why I like the mojo tone one I think it's uh, for the price uh, it's a fantastic quality and it's really um, accurate and um, one of the things that's tough about winding pickups um, first you know you learn to do it and then you're like okay I got this down but the consistency is a killer. One of the things that I have to do, and I I think I told you guys this before, is like when somebody buys a set of pickups that I make, I make a bunch of sets. We've been talking about what to do with all the unused pickups. I have a bunch of pickups that they're good. I just, I'm matching the sets up that I'm sending you guys. And um, it's the old school way of doing things. It's kind of like, I remember when Mike Seldonald told me that, you know, the the SLO 100s, he would and whenever they'd finished the amp, he would take it into a quiet room in the shop and he would swap out 12AX7s and play all by himself quiet in the room and find the, the 12 that the 12AX7 had the least amount of noise to get the noise level down. And of course, when he sold the company to Boutique Amp Distribution, which is now currently who makes it, um, Pete, the designer there who now designs for uh, Bad Cat Amps, Um, he put DC heaters on the amp and that solved the problem. Uh, The reason I tell you that is that's something that smaller pickup builders have to do where bigger pickup builders don't do this. Bigger pickup builders will use um, technology to get consistency, right? (laughs) right? Where I do, I'm almost like, Mike Saldano, where I'm winding a pickup and then I'm loading it into the cartridges and I'm playing it on a guitar and I'm listening and I'm like, compare the other one and compare the, and I go, oh, these two sound the best. <laughs> and I put these two together. Um, so that's the winder I like. Let me share uh, with you guys um, the Mojo Tone winder uh, because one of those things, I I own a couple of them and they've definitely gone up in price. Uh, Stumax got them for 650, but there's one on Reverb for six man they've really gone up amazon what so here's one on the uh amazon for 559 so 560 bucks this is the unit right here it's got a great display it works great i changed out the knob for a different knob that i like better when i turn it um but this is the unit i like let me go back i wonder if it's any cheaper if you get it actually on mojo tones website no it's cheaper on amazon than on mojo tone and it ships from mojo tone I love the world we live in. Mojo Tone shows it here, $600. Temporary out of stock. This is what I'm saying. This is the problem. This is why a lot of people buy it on everyone else because they're always, they're always out of stock. But uh, for those of you that are interested, that's the one I recommend. It is a lot of money, uh, but you know I've tried a ton and I'm not saying it's the best one, but I will say I love its consistency, its quality. It's a great machine. You're If you haven't seen it, it's like a little obviously now you've seen the red box you'll start noticing every pickup small pickup winder Who, whoever they are they got it in the background somewhere that's what they're using it's a really go-to it's really kind of really changed uh to me uh you know the small winding world right i look at the small winding communities kind of like the micro breweries <laughs> you know 20 years ago when everybody was starting up a little micro brewery um Uh, Vanilla Slices, what's a roll of copper wire cost these days? I have no idea. I I buy mine in the bigger spools. Um, During COVID, it was getting crazy because I couldn't get the big spools sometimes. And we buy so much of it, I just don't know. I only see the total bill. So, but I will find out the answer. I need to look at the receipts. It's one of those things, I just don't know. Uh, Frank says, how do you wind your first pickup? I think I'd like doing it, but I don't want to jump onto a deep end one day um i would wind the very first pickup is wind yourself a single coil pickup um for a ton of reasons one it's one you know one wire wrapping around that's a big deal um also it's a very easy kit to assemble um for the most part um you can try a p90 as your first one stay away from humbuckers at first because they're just going to make you nuts uh don't let that be your first pickup i would i would stay away um but i would say either a single coil or um ap90 and uh and then start there it's really cool it's a fun thing i i told you guys the story i my first my first pickup that i ever wound was i want to say 2005 that sounds right it might have been 2004 and the very first one i ever wound what happened was i had a customer and they had a, a let's just say for the argument's sake a vintage guitar the pickup was broke, not working. The wire was broken and it needed to be redone. And, um, they didn't want, I, my argument always was like, get a new pickup. You can get a Seymour Duncan, right? (laughs) Just get a new pickup. And this was like, no, I can't get a new pickup. This guitar is special. It needs to be this. And so I was like, okay, so I, um, I did some research and was able to wind a pickup using a, uh, a, dewalt drill so if you guys don't know you can just take a dewalt drill (laughs) which is what i did and i put it in a in a clamp and uh i basically wound it on my drill (laughs) right um this is, think of this, this is pre-YouTube. YouTube was 2006, so I didn't even find a YouTube video. This is back when, you know, you read your reviews on Harmony Central and you could find pages where people would talk about it. So I read how you did it, and then I tried to put it together. And I won to this pickup, and it was a nightmare, and it took forever, and I did it a bunch of times. And and um, what was nice for me at the time, this is what was nice. One, I was able to to take care of the, the customer. I was able to make the pickup. But the important part for me looking back now, was he had no reference of sound. In other words, he didn't know what the original pickup sound like. This was a sentimental, like, heirloom-type guitar. And so I wound it a couple times, and finally, I think I got it right, and then I put it in, and he played it, and he's like, yeah, oh, sounds good. And I was like, yeah, it sounds good. And so that was the level, the bar that I had to meet. <laughs> was it sounds good (laughs) but i i know i now know it could have been totally so far from what the original pickup sounded because i didn't even know at that time that there was like farm varv or an ammo wire i didn't know you know that i should be that there's a certain amount of wines you know i didn't even think to take the wire off and like weigh it and see if i could calculate how much wine's in it i just like okay i bought some wire (laughs) (laughs) this is wire it's copper (laughs) and i basically wound the pickup and i was like it works and that's the that's the process and then i didn't really have any uh desire to do that again except for the fact that i had a guy who was winding pickups for me and again we got into a situation where he couldn't do it and we had some customers that need some wound pickups so i go okay i'll wind some more and then um and that's just how it works. And I would do them periodically through over the years, but never any real, you know, like this is a desire to do this. Um, it was more of a a lot of repairs. There's a lot of types of repairs I love to do, but a lot of types of repairs I did just because fundamentally it was just, you know, cost effective to do it that way or time uh, effective to do it that way. And then after you teach yourself a skill like that, you just have the skill and then you're like, might as well do it. The world we live in. Boy, do I... Boy, do I love YouTube now (laughs) versus the old days of just looking up a forum or looking up something late night. Here's somebody telling you how to do it. (laughs) Let's see what they, let's see what they say. Uh, M Karras says, I bought a power electric brand guitar. One showed up powers electric brand guitar. One showed up in my local guitar. It's a dream to play complete hollow body with no sound holes. Learned about it watching Tim Pierce video. Oh, cool. Um, why do I not know that video? I usually watch all his videos and I can't believe I don't know that video. Huh, I'll have to check it out for sure. The Outdoors Lab says, Hey Phil, thanks for all the tips you've given on how to get deals. Just just score to use Jackson Dinky in mint condition, save $200. It's nice. That's a great guitar too. I like the Jackson Dinky. I've always loved that guitar shape, the the body. I've always had a big affection for smaller body guitars, even though I'm a bigger guy. It's kind of a weird thing. I don't know why. I just like the way... I like, I like my arm down. This, this, I don't like it up like this. That's, that's why... Like I said, Gretsch was always a guitar I wanted, but again, like an acoustic, my arm kind of comes up and I kind of like it to come down a little bit for the most part. Uh, Dr. Diff says, Happy New Year's, Phil. Is that you're saying happy New York? No, happy NY. Happy New Year's, Phil. I have a stage right amp. I upgraded with a Jensen 12-inch speaker, 25-watt Al But saw Sweet H2O have a B-Stock Marshall. Okay. Oh, SWAT, Sweetwater. Uh, that's funny, Sweet H2O. I'm like, what the hell are you saying? This <laughs> is about saw Sweetwater has a B-Stock Marshall 1-watt tube amp with an 8-inch uh, Celestian at a good price, you think I'd be happy with it. I did not like the Marshall one watt amp. Um, the the I had the head. My issue was, um, and, I, and I've said this many times, uh, just to be clear, and I thought I was clear in the video, but I want to be clear now, again, which is I had the original version of that amp that was made in the UK, but I don't care if it was made in the UK. What I care about is the original version had a gain control on the clean channel. And, From that, you were able to juice the gain a little bit to get the clean channel to sound a little bigger. And on the version they make now, the volume is just like just a volume. I think the presence control is hooked to it. And to me, the clean is so, so thin and so bright that I want that. That amp to me is a perfect as a pedal platform. It's got a little digital reverb, a little one watt amp, a little quiet at night kind of thing, run some pedals through it. And I found that just having no control of your clean sound at all with an amp that doesn't have any kind of beefiness to it, it really was a little not you know, not great. And I would imagine, and I could be totally wrong, that it's much worse with an 8 speaker than it was when I was running it through a 112 and 212 cabinet. So I'm gonna say no. The only thing I liked about that amp is that it said Marshall and it looked cool. <laughs> but I did not like anything about that. A lot of people gave me hell on that video about the distortion. You're like, hey, the distortion's great. Why, I'm like, yeah, it's fine, but but my biggest issue, which I think, again, wasn't clear, was they already made a version of the amp that was freaking awesome. I understand that was made in England, and this one's now made in Vietnam, but just copy the, send the one you made in England, send that to Vietnam, <laughs> go make that, <laughs> send that out for, for the price they did. But instead, they changed it, and they made it worse. So uh, that's my uh, opinion. But so, you know, some people love it, as uh, we talked about at the beginning of the show. Uh... Some you know didn't work for me, but it could work for you. But in my experience, I did not love it, and I really, really, really wanted to. So, there you go. Uh, and if I was going to get a one watt amp again, I would definitely get the Blackstar. That's for sure. Compare for that for that price point and those price points. Um, let's see. S- smooth oh we already did smoother uh history will vindicate thrawn (laughs) you guys in your names okay (laughs) all right uh hey phil what do you uh, what to do with cheap bass cabinet with a blown speaker oh 2011 gc era acoustic 410 wanted to sell it because it's bulky and heavy but replacement speakers cost as much as the cabinet yeah um it's tough you know when you have a cabinet like that and you you want to sell it the sad thing is is that here's what's funny okay um i don't know what you're gonna get for it and it's not gonna be a lot but as dumb as this sounds the cabinet's probably gonna be easier to sell i don't care what brand it is okay i don't care if it's acoustic or behringer or whatever if it's a premium brand it's gonna be easy but I'm, we're talking about non-premium you know expensive brands um, in my experience, if you have an amp with a blown or cabinet with a blown speaker and you're, the math isn't working, right? So in other words, like you said, if I buy a new speaker, it's as much as the damn cabinet costs. If you try to sell that like on Craigslist or OfferUp and you say, hey, I have you know, I have a 112 guitar cabinet with blown speaker. I have a 410 with blown speakers. I have a 115 blown speaker. Um, you won't get anybody to buy it. But if you take that blown speaker out, all the blown speakers out and you say, I have an empty cabinet and this is the price, you can get somebody to buy it. I don't know why that is, <laughs> but you need to take out the blown speakers. Sadly enough, uh, I don't know what's, you know, that you'll have to see what's recyclable from the blown speakers and stuff. But um, but that that is what I've learned that helps a lot, is that before I would sell a defective cabinet, I would just sell a working cabinet without a, or sorry, before I sell a cabinet with a defective speaker, I would sell a working cabinet with no speaker. Um, it will it will sell easier for sure. Because there's oh, cause now you're looking for a different customer. You're not looking for somebody who's like, okay, I'll buy that and then I'll figure out how to fix it. You're looking for somebody who's like, I got a bunch of 10-inch speakers. Maybe I'll throw in this cabinet, right? That's what you're hoping for. You're hoping for somebody who's got the speakers and they need the cabinet. And same logic. They're like, you know, the, you know uh, but you're not going to get a lot for it. I don't know what that is, but it's not going to be a lot. But that's how you get rid of it. Uh, I'd also check the speakers thoroughly to make sure that they are blown. So, um, this is where, uh, some stuff like this always get a little nervous because later I'll be watching the show in a couple of days and somebody in the comments will say something way smarter than me. And I go, oh man, I wish I would have said that. Plus I wish the person who asked me the question would have saw this. Um, one thing you want to do is let's make sure, make sure that the speakers are blown. There's a couple easy ways to test, test that. There's a fast, easy test to check a blown speaker. You can go on YouTube. Just type in "blown check blown speaker with nine volt battery." That's how you do it. You take two wires. You take it on the nine volt battery. Watch the cone go out. Watch right. And if it does, it's not blown. I would check to make sure, Uh, especially since uh, bass cabinets, bass guitar cabinets, affordable cabinets like that, expensive cabinets. It doesn't matter. They all tend to use. they use a uh, a way they protect the speakers is inside the cabinet. Sometimes they use a, what looks like a fuse. It's actually a car dome light, an old car dome light. you know, back when they were not LEDs. Um, And what they do is they wire sometimes one or two car dome car lights, you know, the light in your car. That's just usually because I, I, the reason I know this is because I don't, like I said, I don't repair amps, but you know, I've been in bands and you blow stuff and that's where you go to get them. You went to AutoZone. <laughs> so you had to go to get them out of AutoZone. And then what they'll do is they'll they'll wire one or two of those bulbs essentially uh, into uh, the the mechanism where the the, the speaker cable is going and what has, they're there to stop the speakers from blowing. And it's very inexpensive. So like I said, it's not just an expensive cabinet will do it. Sometimes cheap cabinets will do it too. So what I'm basically saying is before you sell this thing off at a loss later and lose everything maybe take some time take the speakers out check them if it's you know check the speaker that's an easy thing to do like i said nine volt battery you can do that very easily and check it and if you don't know how to do that just what i just said you're gonna put it on the on the on the on the wires the plus uh the uh, hot and the negative and it's gonna go outward And if it doesn't work flip it go the other way then it should go inward i, I believe if you flip it and then um but like i said check for fuses or those cord- card dome lights and um, and if it's those bigger lights, the reason I'm telling you those lights is because, uh, you know, you're going to go like, oh, uh, I need a fuse, but you really need those lights and you have to solder them in. They usually solder them in. They're not like popped in, like on prongs, like, like a fuse, but either way, fix that cabinet if you can. Um, because it is shocking in modern cabinets now to see blown speakers. It's just not, like I said, they, they know how to make speakers now, uh, cabinets even inexpensively well. <laughs> so, so that's what I would do. All those things I would check and, uh, and then if i and then follow the other device If this, if that advice doesn't turn anything, hopefully you will save some, some gear and some money. Okay. This came from zombie guitar company, zombie guitar company, which is, uh, is my daughter's favorite t-shirt. Uh, she stole it from me. <laughs> so my daughter is funny. Cause she's like, um, She's like five foot one and, and she weighs like nothing, but she'll wear my giant shirts like, like a whole, like just that, like she wears big baggy clothes. So that's her thing. So she, she has a, my zombie guitar company shirt with the mystery van. So I, I just always think of that Every time I see her wear the shirt, I go, oh yeah, I remember when Zombie sent me that shirt and she took it. Uh, it says, what are your thoughts on Fender offering a mod shop? Yeah, so Fender has a mod shop, right? It looks like uh, you pick the body, the paint, the neck. Yep, hardware. They build it. Uh, I did a sample build, two thousand dollars. GNL is already doing this. Yeah, it's kind of the same concept. <coughs> what do you think of the mod shop? I obviously I love that stuff, especially since Fender might stop that one day, and then you'll have these guitars that, at the time, probably won't seem. They'll seem like a poor, poor person's. You know, I what do they say? A poor man's. Uh, uh, custom shop, but then may turn out to be valued like a custom shop because it's something you can't do anymore. Essentially, Fender got smart. The mod shop is really, um, I believe when they started, cause they've had the mod shop for many, many years now. Um, the mod shop started according to the people at Fender, I know because of Stratosphere, right? Um, it's a mod shop. They started selling, Fender wasn't selling necks and bodies for years years i think they were selling them up to and again you know trying to do off memory uh they were selling bodies and necks and parts like that up until the early 2000s then they stopped and they didn't start back up until like 2014 or something like that um and they started back up because i said oh you're gonna sell necks and bodies again and they said yeah it's because stratosphere which is if you guys don't know who stratosphere is they're an online entity that basically cannibalizes like a like a chop shop for cars but for guitars they chop they take apart new and used instruments and i think mostly new but they do new and used and uh sell off all the parts and so people can kind of parts of caster their guitars back together so fender um basically started selling the parts and then i think the mod shop was like the next inevitable um you know kind of like iteration of that like let people go on um go on our website and build up a a custom instrument or semi-custom instrument. Um, It seems cool. I like the idea. It's, I mean, you know, (laughs) Uh, I guess at the core core of it is, uh, what are my thoughts on it? That's my thoughts. It exists and it seems cool. Um, You know, I like it. I like, obviously, I like unique instruments, so that's definitely something cool. Um, okay. Um, okay. So this, this question is, Hey Phil, I dig the show. You guys rock. Thank you. Both of us, me and both these guys, these guys both rock, uh, says, uh, got the Friedman bug thinking of thinking about getting a dirty. Shirley. does the 12 inch speaker sound better than the 10 speaker? Um, I believe it sounds better to me. To me, it sounds better. Um, I like 10-inch speakers for when you're playing quieter, uh, they're easier to distort, and they're faster to distort. More faster meaning at lower volumes, right? It, and, and, and the gain control, right? So to me, and I can't, I can't tell you for a fact, but I would say if I had two Dirty Shirley heads, a mini heads on two cabinets, one is a 112 and one is a uh, 110-inch speaker, if we set the gain at, let's say, Four on both amps, I believe, and I'm pretty sure I'm right, that the 10-inch speaker will be more distorted sounding than the 12-inch speaker at that point. So you have to you have to turn it up. And that's only a problem if you're on 10 on both, because you're going to get more distortion out of 10. Um, the 10 speaker to me has a snappier mids, uh not as much lows, but also a little bit, like I said, more distorted and distorts a little bit more at a lower volume. So that would be why you'd want the the 10 inch speaker that's really cool i think there's a ton of reasons why you want that me personally i like the bigger cabinet bigger speaker um i'll just get the amp to distort whether i attenuate it or i want to boost in front of it i'll figure out how to get there i i just want the speaker to sound a little fuller um the only amp i have that has a 110 is my princeton that's it and even my princeton i think sounds way better through a 112 so uh there you go. So I like 12s. I'm biased. I like the 12s more than 10s. So, so it's like I said, can't say better, but I say I would pick that for sure. Um, and I think the reason you're asking is because the the Dirty Shirley Mini combo comes in a 110. Is that what it is? So I think that that's the answer. And you're thinking about should you get the head in the cabinet? I like it. I like having heads and cabinets over a, ca- a one cabinet. Gina Short was an early riser question, so I grabbed it. She said, uh, how would you dial in a good tone for an acoustic electric guitar running through an electric amp using EQ? So we talked last week about adding an EQ pedal to an amplifier like a, a, a Boss Katana or something like that to make it better. Um, with EQ pedals, like if we're using, like let's say the Boss uh, you know, uh, EQ, seven band EQ. Um, one of the things I like to do is set the volume. If the EQ pedal has a volume, set that to um, unity gain. Okay, so if you're not familiar with uni- unity gain, if you're not familiar with that term, uh, um, it's used all the time in the pedal areas of, of the world. Um, basically, unity gain on any pedal means that when you turn on the pedal and you turn off the pedal, the 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 volume is the same, even though we're calling it unity gain and not unity volume, but it's called unity gain. So in other words, you know, you step on your your distortion pedal and you step off of it, and the volume is the same. Um, you you don't feel jump either either direction. Um, that's definitely important with the EQ pedal. So I would set the EQ pedal so that basically, like I said, turn on the EQ pedal, turn it off and you tone change. Sure. But volume change, none. So that's the first place I like to do it. And then from there, you can figure if you want to reduce or increase the actual volume. Okay. Um, but I would hold off to do that until you now set the EQing. I would set the EQ flat. Okay. So um, so set the EQ flat and if you do it correctly, I think, uh, like I said, using a boss pedal or something like that, if you're set in the unity volume and you're set the EQ flat, it should be, you turn on the pedal, turn off the pedal and you hear nothing. That's the ideal, perfect world. That's what you want, right? You turn it on, you turn it off. It's like, you like, this is broken. You don't hear anything. Then what you want to do is play for a second with it off and then turn it on and start adjusting, right? Maybe add some low end frequencies. The thing about EQ pedals that, that are tough, um, that is very tough is that people want to just like slam them to the sky, (laughs) slam all the sliders, like just go crazy. Right. And, um, you know, the the only the best way the best way i ever was told uh to knock it off by a a very talented musician uh when i was lucky enough to hang out with somebody the first time i was hanging out with somebody who's talented to who kind of dialed me in they were like dude chill out <laughs> i was ter- i grabbed a gain i think it went to 10 they're like dude chill like dude if you were seasoning your food <laughs> if you're cooking would you just be like i'm going to dump a whole <laughs> Like a whole can of Old Bay. Like we just throw that in there, right? Half, half a can of pepper, half a can of salt. He's like, no, no. You, lightly season, stir, taste. Lightly season, stir, taste, right? I'm like, yes, okay. So same thing. You can do this uh, same. This analogy works for a gain with chorus. Slight adjustment, turn it off, turn it back on. You know, you don't get the dramatic effect. But the dramatic effect is really what you don't want, right? You want the acoustic to sound just more alive. I know what you're going after everybody's going to the same thing. Acoustic sounds a little more dynamic, a little bit more acoustic because most of the time with an acoustic electric, what you're really spending the time to do is trying to make the electric part of the acoustic sound like the acoustic part. So that's what I would do is unity gain, set the EQ flat, and then slowly start adding in some low end frequencies or high end frequencies and start moving them just a little bit. And then if you want to add some volume, great. Now, sometimes you want to take some volume away. It's really good too. And then there you go. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I'm no old bitch. Says Phil likes his game, like he likes tie, li- like pepper. Yes, like ten. <laughs> Just let's go. Uh, so there, <laughs> there you go. I hope that kind of helps you start that. Where to, where to start? Okay, we have two things uh, to cover. So let's do them both. Okay. The first one was from Frank, who says, Hey, Phil, do you think the increasing number and popularity of guitar reviews on YouTube has increased pressure on manufacturers to improve quality? Okay, that's the question. Then there's a little bit more after that. It says, we're all we're all seeing pretty high-spec and well-made guitars in the sub-$500 market, which seems to put pressure on all makers to improve their game. Um, I do not believe that YouTube channels have put any pressure on guitar manufacturers to increase their quality. Um, now hear me out on the abstract of this. I believe that if they're feeling if a manufacturer is feeling pressure to improve the quality of their instrument or improve the feature set on their instrument, that pressure comes from their competitor. Now, whether they found out about that competitor through a YouTube video review or YouTube demo, sure, then therefore, you know, yes, could that happen? There is a reason why... um, So I I like to speak to things that obviously, you know, when I'm I'm talking about myself, picking on me, you know, (laughs) isolating what I do um, because, I, you know, I, I don't know how to judge other people so much for what they do. But the... The reason why, like I said, the reason why I like to do the videos I do, like where I'll go, let's do a, an inexpensive Amazon type guitar. Oh, wait, here's the top of line Kiesel. Oh, wait, here's the most expensive PRS there is. Oh, wait, here's an off-brand, you know, guitar, uh, you know, uh, you know, mid-price point is one, I'm, I'm curious about this stuff and, and I think it's fun. But more importantly, I think um, m- manufacturers and my experience with them whether that be a, through a dealer or through you know all the all things I've worked with them over the years or just now doing YouTube content, um, tend to look up and down. I, I, I've used this analogy so many times with actual manufacturers. Manufacturers look up and down. The joke I use is up and down means like this. They look at their top-of-the-line guitar. Like, use Gibson's example. They go, well, this is our premium. Uh, this is a, you know, this is a Max Les Paul. And then this is a, you know, a, a production USA guitar. And then this is our inexpensive USA guitar. And then this is the Epiphone premium. And then they walk down their line and they go, this is how you look at it. And I always say, that's up and down. I want to look left and right. In other words, I don't want to look at how Gibson's top-of-the-line to its at least expensive guitar is. I want to look to the left where I see Heritage. And to the right? where I see Sire, you know what I mean? Or another brand, right? I want to look to your competitors. And that's how I think sometimes you can really improve your guitars or your company. Um, You know, uh, if I look at my, I mean, if I look at my best video and my worst video that I perceive, I might go, that's my best video and that's my worst video. But when you see somebody do something and I go, wow, I've never that video is amazing. I wish I would have made it. You know, making videos no different than making songs or making movies or anything else or making anything. You see somebody do something, you go, why didn't I think they do that? It's so great. Not so much because you're like, I want to copy them. You're just like, man, that's really setting the bar now, right? Um, I don't want to look at, um, you know, who, somebody who I don't think is doing as well and go, oh, I guess I'm doing it better than them. And I feel good about myself. So same thing with this, uh, this question. I believe that manufacturers got to be competitive, like any, any, any business. And when they see other brands, then they, they take action. But I don't think the YouTubers specifically or the YouTube videos are anything more than maybe the delivery system of that information. Um, the, uh, and sometimes the YouTube. So, and the reason I say that also is if we talk specifically about YouTube videos, I think they're just as horrible as they are good to the manufacturers. Um, I could say yeah this YouTuber called out this brand on this thing and now they've improved it and I've seen that a thousand times on YouTube and we all have and that's great. And I I applaud those you know YouTubers who have done that or small channels. And so you know mostly they're never the big channels. They're always the you know the smaller channels that have less on the line to give. You know it's a lot easier to be bold if you're not you're not expecting the whole world to smack you back a little bit. So that's great because then they take those chances. It's great. But for every instance where i said i can say a youtube channel or a gear channel did something that effectively made a company better right and using my own and myself as the analogy like sweetwater's 55 point inspection when i did the video saying i I didn't think they did anything you know they really just came at me and said look we're going to try to make that better and and that was uh, it makes me feel good right like oh i made a thing and they said we'll make it better whether it got better or not, you know, is is a hard thing to argue. But they did actively try. But for every time I could say that happened with a channel, I think there's a hundred times where channels made things worse because sometimes they just always say everything's great, and then when you say everything's great, the companies believe, like I said, their own hype. It's 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 really crazy. So it's really tough as and um, and. I was on my channel. It was one of the toughest decisions I ever made. We'll end on this point today. The toughest decision I ever made on YouTube for myself was the day I decided that uh, I was doing the the thing that everyone was doing because I heard it so many times. Like I only interview, I only review things I like. And so when I didn't like it, I would send it back. Some of you guys have been around this channel long enough, you know, like I triggered a company that made them nuts when I sent their product back to them. They lost their mind because they were like, they I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought, oh, I don't like this product. I'm sending it back to them. Then they got it and they w- lost their mind and they got super mad at me because they were offended by this. And I was like, why would you be offended? I, I, I mean, I understand I didn't like it, but I mean, I didn't bash it. And... The the lesson I learned was not that I shouldn't do that. The lesson I really learned was no, I I like the saying and even though I don't do sports, I love the saying in in golf, play it where it lands. If I do a video, if I get a product and I don't like it, then they get a video. (laughs) The video is just me not liking it. I don't I don't like to make those videos. So I really work hard, like you all work hard when you're online researching your next guitar. You're trying to approximate this is the right guitar for you. You haven't touched it. You don't know. I do the same thing with manufacturers. When they reach out and they say, hey, we have this product we'd like to talk about and have you on my channel. I do everything in my power to kind of calculate what I'm, uh, I think I'm really going to like this. I think it's going to be really great. And I think it's going to be a great video and I'm going to do it. But sometimes stuff shows up and I'm like, I don't like it, and so now it's got to go out there as a as a product. But my my point is, I think does it help? Does, does the YouTube uh, system that we have currently now help the manufacturers improve? I don't believe it does. I think that it creates more hype and more bogus things than it helps, and um, and that's why I think anytime you see somebody being honest about a a product, not to be negative, okay, negative can be clickbait as is, is dramas too, but somebody giving you an honest thought, whether they say it's honest or not, you don't need them to. When you see the sincerity of that, you know why it's valuable because you don't see it very often. (laughs) So when you see it and, uh, and, uh, that's just my, you know, there you go on that note, it's time to let you guys go. So I want to thank you guys so much for, uh, look, I'm switching cameras again. Thank you guys so much for uh helping the channel promoting the channel being with the channel subscribing to the channel loving the channel and uh now go play guitar all right guys have a good weekend